extended period of time. Um, but it's really great to be here this morning. For those who don't know me, my name is Debs, um, and I have the, had the privilege of being part of the Renewal family for the last couple of years, um, and today the privilege of sharing with you. Um, today we're continuing with our series, Encounters with Jesus, um, and it's interesting to build on what Kevin shared with us last week about Jesus being a little bit rude. Um, so we'll see what, what comes out today. But sometimes we assume that a pre-qualifier or a prerequisite for our encounter with Jesus is that we need to have it all figured out. When life is good, when we're confident in ourselves, confident in our faith, we'll see Jesus nice and clearly and have a happy encounter that helps us grow. Even if we expect Jesus to show up when life is messy, we often think he's coming in to tidy it all up, wrap up all the chaos, make everything neat and presentable. But today, I want us to think about how Jesus finds us in the storm, in the chaos, in the mess, in the panic, in the complexity of life. Now, anyone who's been around kids, either yours or other people's, you'll know that they love to ask questions. Shout out to all the children's church workers, tackling a few now, I'm sure. From the constant why, 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 why of two to three-year-olds to the endless queries from slightly older children who still think that their parents have an infinite understanding of the universe. Kids love questions. Now, the internet, of course, has list upon list of the funniest and silliest questions asked by kids, such as, why did you not name me Bob? How do snails work? How do people fit inside the TV? Why can't I see my own eyes? In the olden days, was everything black and white? Why were swear words invented if we're not allowed to say them? Can you put that girl baby back and get me a baby brother? Why doesn't the sky fall on us? Do quesadillas grow on trees? How do mermaids go to the bathroom? I think I must have asked many difficult questions as a child because I remember repeatedly my parents telling me that if they could answer every question, they would be God, implying that God has left some mystery in the universe just to remind us that we are indeed merely human. We're born with a curiosity that's supposed to help us figure out how to thrive in the world around us, help us figure out how to solve the problems we might encounter on a day-to-day -day basis, and learn in ways that help us flourish as human beings. But as we grow older, I think we begin to feel like we need to have it all figured out. We're adults now, we're supposed to have a plan. We're supposed to have all the answers. 
I'm leading my team at work, so I'm supposed to be able to solve everybody's problems. We have kids now. We need a solid plan for every and any circumstance. I'm a growing up. I should be able to make sensible life decisions. As adults, it's tempting to feel like we have to have all the answers, unlike kids who have all the questions. It's also tempting as a Christian, I think, to expect to have some kind of fairy tale version of life where the answer to every question is Jesus. There's a story I'm sure some of you have heard before about a child in a kindergarten Sunday school class. So the teacher was giving a demonstration of how God created everyone and everything, including the animals. And for her illustration, she asked the kids in class a question. What's brown and furry and has a big bushy tail and eats nuts? Jesus, shouted the children, because as we all know, Jesus is always the answer in Sunday school. The teacher smiled patiently and said, no, listen closely. What's brown and furry has a big bushy tail and eats nuts. Again, the entire class shouted, Jesus. A little bit more impatiently, the teacher repeated, no, listen closely to the question, kids. What's brown and furry has a big bushy tail and eats nuts? One little boy slowly raises his hand and says, well, I know the answer is Jesus, but it sure sounds like a squirrel. Sometimes we think that Jesus is supposed to be the answer to wrap up every complex challenge of our times in a nice little neat box with a pretty bow on top. But my own experience in encountering Jesus is that it can be a little bit more complicated than that. And today, my prayer is that as we explore this together, as we understand what it means to encounter Jesus in a world of uncertainty, to experience Jesus even when we feel trapped in a web of complexity, and to meet Jesus even when we feel suffocated by the endless questions and challenges of life, that together we'll figure out what it means to encounter Jesus in that space to encounter Jesus in today's ever-changing world where nothing seems stable and everything seems to have layer upon layer of complexity. So let's pray together and then we're going to read our passage. Lord, we thank you so much that you have come to this place to have an encounter with us this morning. Thank you that you are here. Thank you that you've come to meet with us. Thank you that as you come, just by offering you our time, our headspace, our energy, our prayers, that we're able to meet with you in a way that speaks to the depths of our hearts. And as we come to your word this morning, Lord, we just pray that you would just open your arms and hold us close, that you would open our hearts and our minds to hear from you that we would leave this place truly knowing and feeling, having spent time with you. Lord, I just pray that you would speak to us, quieten all the chaos around us, whether inside or outside, and help us to hear from you. We pray these things in your name. Lista is going to read for us this morning. We are reading from Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 to 33. Um, I'll be reading the NLT version. Jesus walks on water. 
immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from the land, for a strong wind had risen and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Do not be afraid, he said. Take courage, I am here. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it is really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water towards Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples worshiped him. You really are the son of God, they exclaimed. A story that may be familiar to some of us. And the Sunday school version of this story encourages us to think of the storms as the difficult seasons of life. Being bullied, let Jesus calm the storm. Worried about exams, let Jesus calm the storm. Difficult family or home situation, let Jesus calm the storm. And these are all great and absolutely situations in which Jesus can bring peace and healing and calm. But sometimes in our particularly complex version of the world today, the storm looks a little different. I think that more often than not, perhaps, the storms that we face in today's world is a storm of questions, a stream of seemingly never-ending complexities that seem a little too overwhelming to solve creating a storm on the inside of our hearts and minds, and sometimes even in our communities and our friendships, as we struggle with seemingly unsolvable questions. The pressure of needing to have it all figured out can be crushing. The pressure of needing all the answers, particularly in an age of endless information, it's tempting to be experts in everything. Here's some questions. I find myself asking, and maybe some of them resonate with you. Why does a God of love and compassion allow cancer, even in Christians? Why does a God of peace allow war that tears whole families quite literally to pieces? How can I both honor political leaders and stand up against injustice? How do I respond to those around me consumed by hate in a world that needs love? How do I figure out the right response to my gay brother who's created and loved by God, yet most often rejected by the church? How do I claim to be a Christian when I'm consumed by grief for years on end? 
How can I be a community group leader when I struggle with anger? How do I love the poor when I feel numb? How do I help my sister get out of her endless cycles of addiction to alcohol before it kills her? How can I trust God when my child is dead? How can I claim to trust God when I daily struggle with depression, anxiety, and self-harm? How is a God of love, the same God of the Old Testament who seems to favor violence? How do I honor my marriage to a spouse who's increasingly distant and cold? From a distance, we can all give nice, tidy Sunday school answers to these questions. But up close, when these questions hit us in the face, land in our own households, and shake our own lives, it's suddenly a lot more difficult to find comfort in the Jesus answers of the kindergarten Sunday school class. I think sometimes that these questions are too big, too messy, too real to be satisfied by the nice, neat version of Jesus that we perhaps learned about in Sunday school. I seem to be knocking Sunday school this morning. I'm not really. <laughs> but we package things very nice and neatly and simply for our children. And sometimes when we package Jesus in Sunday school, we package it as wrong and right and good and bad and black and white. Definitely no gray areas. It's our job as good Christians, we think, to have all the answers. No room for ambiguity. But in reality, each question, each struggle can seem like a gut punch to our faith, to our very being, a gut punch that wins us, leaves us struggling for air and gasping for breath. To me, it seems like in such storms, we have much to learn from the experience of the disciples and particularly Peter in Matthew 14. Perhaps a bit of context first, the gospels of Matthew and Mark each describe the two separate occasions when Jesus, in the presence of his frightened disciples, calms a storm on the Lake of Galilee. In the first of these events, Jesus is peacefully sleeping on the boat while the storm threatens to sink it. And in the second, the disciples are crossing the lake by themselves when Jesus comes to them walking on the waves. Luke's gospel describes only the occasion when Jesus was asleep on the boat. And John describes only the one we read about today. But the accounts in Matthew and Mark show us that there were two separate incidences. By the time Christ stepped into a boat, the disciples knew he was likely to calm the storm with his presence. They'd seen this already as he calmed the storm with his command in the first story. So in Matthew 14, the story we read follows a series of parables in chapter 13 in the middle of which Jesus himself says, the people hear without understanding, see without seeing. The parables seem like riddles, leaving, leaving listeners confused and somehow in awe. In fact, at the end of the chapter, he seems to have left the people of his hometown rather upset. The last three verses of chapter 13 say, coming to his hometown, Jesus began teaching the people in their synagogue and they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? Aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all his sisters here with us? Where did this man get all of these things? And they took offense at him. 
Jesus' teaching often left people with questions, maybe even with feelings difficult to process. But I think when I read the Gospels, what I see is a stark difference when they met and interacted with him as a person, over a meal, round a table, as a healer. These interactions seem to birth a confidence and a clarity in who Jesus was. Matthew chapter 14 moves us from the parables and teaching of Jesus in chapter 13 to stories of people's encounter with him in chapter 14. We first read about the feeding of the 5,000, the crowds he'd drawn as a result of his compassion and healing of the sick. And then, of course, we get to this story about the disciples' interaction with him during the storm. And I want us to take a bit of a deep dive into this series of events. So first of all, Jesus sees them. The disciples are scared, frightened by the rising storm, perhaps even frantic, busy doing all the things that fishermen know how to do in such circumstances. Jesus, according to the text, was physically far away. He'd left them to go off in the boat. He'd gone up into the hills to pray. He'd retreated for some alone time, but he still somehow sees them. Last year, we had some family visiting, and we'd gone to the coast for a few days, um, because anybody who comes from Scotland wants to find the place with the most sunshine and go and enjoy it. And so we'd gone to the coast, and we'd gone out on a boat ride, as you do, to enjoy the ocean. Now, as we departed from the shore, we could already see a storm gathering in the distance, but... The captain of the boat assured us that the storm was headed in the opposite direction. It was not. It did not head in the other direction. It came straight for us. And soon it was dark. We were soaked by pouring rain in a not so big boat. <laughs> and if I'm honest, we were all a little scared. So we kept asking to head back to shore. But the captain kept telling us it wasn't safe to do so until it brightened up a little. They busied themselves preparing the boat for such weather. I think our fear was kind of entertaining to them. <laughs> Seasoned boatsmen who had probably been in a thousand more storms and a thousand worse than what we were actually in. And they kept telling us there's nothing to be worried about, which not only didn't give us much comfort, uh, comfort or confidence, but left us, I think, even more concerned than we were before. Now, clearly, we made it back safely to shore, and we were soon laughing about our failed adventure. But there was definitely a moment where the darkness seemed all-consuming, where we couldn't see further than a few feet away. The shoreline had completely disappeared. And sometimes our storm seems so dark when we think it completely impossible for anyone to see us, never mind find us. Someone once said that, being seen is so close to being loved that they might just be the same thing. Jesus saw the disciples in the storm. From whatever distance, Jesus sees you in your storm. Even though you might feel far from, you, from him, Jesus sees you. And that's what prompts his response. And so we go to the second part of events. And that's that Jesus found them in the storm. So often we think that it's our job to find Jesus. How often do we share some testimony of how we searched for and found God? But the reality of this story is that Jesus sees the disciples in the storm and then he finds his way 
to them. He didn't stand on the shore and wait for them to fight their way through the storm alone. He didn't cheer them on from a distance. He didn't stay on the hillside and continue to pray for them. He came to them in the storm. Likewise, Jesus finds us in our storm. Maybe the disciples called out for him. Maybe they prayed as best as they knew how. Maybe they were too busy just bucketing water out of the boat or whatever fishermen do in a storm. We don't know. The passage doesn't tell us. But we do know that Jesus found them. Jesus came to them in the midst of the storm. The third step in the story, Jesus' words on arrival were, don't be afraid, take courage, I am here. Now, it really stands out to me that at first he didn't calm the storm. That wasn't the first thing he did when he showed up. As a leadership team at work, we've been doing some group coaching. And as part of the process, we've done these Enneagram personality tests. Some of you might have done them. So for those who know me, it might not be surprising, but <laughs> my personality type is the type that wants to fix things. So we don't feel the emotions. We show up, we fix it, we move on. <laughs> and in a crisis, my personality type won't particularly feel. First, they want to do. We look for ways to solve the issue. So the fact that Jesus would show up and the first thing he's doing is not calming the storm, I think would make me rather uncomfortable. <laughs> Feelings just get in the way of the problem that we're all trying to fix. But thankfully, Jesus doesn't jump straight into calming the storm. His first action was to speak to the disciples. Don't be afraid, take courage, I am here. They didn't know Jesus was present because the storm was over. The storm raged around them. They knew his presence because they heard and recognized his voice. They encountered his words of comfort despite the ongoing storm. The storm raged, but Jesus was present. They encountered Jesus not because the storm was gone, but because as the storm raged, they heard his voice. And that takes us to the next part of the story where Jesus indulged Peter's need for reassurance. Peter calls from the boat, if it's you, Lord, tell me to come to you on the water. Jesus replied, come. Peter seemingly needed to prove that it was really Jesus. Apparently, forgetting the storm for a moment, Peter, looking to Jesus, wants to know that he's real and that he's really there. Peter's not just battling with the storm. He's also battling with his belief that Jesus is really there and he really cares. How many of us battling with the storms of life, these unanswerable questions, the suffocating complexities of our world, also need the reassurance that Jesus is really there? Author and theologian Rachel Held Evans writes, if I've learned anything, it's that doubt is the mechanism by which faith evolves. It's a refining fire, a hot flame that keeps our faith alive and moving and bubbling about where certainty would only freeze it on the spot. We read similar sentiments from theologian Paul Tillich who argued that doubt is actually a necessary element of faith. It's a consequence of the risk of faith. 
And we see here in the passage that Jesus didn't judge Peter or condemn him for asking for reassurance. Don't be ridiculous, Peter. Of course it's me. Who else would be out here at 3 a.m. walking on the water? Jesus says, okay then, come to me. He indulges Peter's need for reassurance. He loves Peter so much that he wants to help him build his confidence and his clarity of who Jesus is and to confirm his presence for Peter in the storm. So we move to the next piece. While Peter kept his eyes on Jesus, he was able to walk on the water. The storm raged on. Jesus didn't calm the wind yet. The waves were still battering Peter around the head. Our storms may rage on even as we encounter Jesus. There was not as yet any promise, actually, that Jesus would calm the storm in this passage. Only reassurance of his presence and confirmation of his compassion. As long as Peter kept his eyes locked on Jesus, he was indeed able to walk on the water. He was able to stay in close encounter with Jesus despite the storm, despite the questions, despite the fear. Battered by winds or by unsolvable questions, Jesus is the calm. Battered by uncertainty, Jesus is the peace that we need. Encountering Jesus is not about tidy answers or neat, pretty solutions to the problems we're facing or the questions we have. Encountering Jesus can be messy and chaotic, but with the courage to keep our eyes on Jesus, we can encounter him despite the storm. These encounters are not perfectly packaged, but they're a space to experience the person of Jesus and experience the clarity of who he is and how he loves us in the midst of the storm. But of course, he does not keep his eyes on Jesus. He gets distracted by the winds and the waves, and he, he does so. He begins to sink. But notice in the passage that the storm only overwhelms Peter when he takes his eyes off Jesus, when he focuses on the storm rather than focusing on the presence of Jesus. That's when he begins to drown. That's when he needs to cry for help. After pulling him from the water, Jesus says, you have so little faith, why did you doubt me? It intrigues me first that Jesus rescues him and then answers the question. He doesn't lecture him first, punishing him by allowing him to struggle just a little bit longer because of his doubt. You have so little faith. Let me watch you whilst a few more waves bash you around. Whilst you fear for your survival, that'll teach you. The passage says in verse 31, Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. It also intrigues me that it is at this point that Jesus challenges Peter's lack of faith. He didn't challenge it earlier when Peter said, is that really you? He challenges it now as Peter takes his eyes off Jesus and is consumed by the storm. Jesus didn't attack Peter for asking questions. He challenged him when he faltered in his focus. And then Jesus still reaches out to save him, even when he was drowning because he took his eyes off Jesus. Jesus didn't say, well, that's what you get. If you can't keep your eyes on me, then what do you expect? If you're like me, having your eyes on Jesus 
has maybe meant some kind of like super holy state, as if having your eyes on Jesus is a kind of deep meditative process, maybe because of the old chorus that I'm sure is familiar to many of us and was sung in a very slow, somber manner. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of the earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Great words, but as I say, when we used to sing it growing up, uh, there definitely wasn't a lot of chaos. It was a very quiet, somber tune. But for Peter, in the storm, having his eyes on Jesus meant staying focused on what is sure and solid in a sea of uncertainty. Encountering Jesus with confidence in his character and in his presence despite the storm. Staying focused on what, or rather, who is unchanging yesterday, today, and tomorrow, despite the chaos, despite the injustice, despite the sheer terror of life. When Peter took his eyes off Jesus, Jesus didn't disappear. He was still present, but Peter started to be consumed by the waves. When we take our eyes off Jesus, he's still here, but we risk being consumed by the waves consumed by our fears, consumed by our questions, consumed by our uncertainty. We need to keep walking towards Jesus, even in the storm. Keep looking to Jesus, even in the chaos, and knowing God, a God who loves us, even amidst the unknown. So finally, Jesus pulls Peter from the water and they get into the boat. And as they climb into the boat, the passage says the wind stopped. Jesus can calm the storm, and he will, but perhaps not on our timeline. I wonder if there was at least one other disciple on the boat who was thinking and maybe even muttering to the others, what's Jesus doing? Did he come to rescue us or have a swim with Peter? Can he not see that we're drowning? Can he not act a little faster? Why is he wasting time? But Jesus knows his encounter with Peter is as important as calming the storm. Building Peter's confidence in his character and his presence are ultimately as, if not more important than calming the storm. Likewise, when we encounter Jesus, the matter of utmost importance is not answering our many questions or solving our many complexities. The matter of utmost importance is us growing in our understanding and experience of Jesus his character, his love, his compassion, and his presence. And then the final part of the story, the disciples were in awe, recognized him as the son of God and worshiped him. The response of the disciples was worship. The encounter all builds up to this act of worship, the storm, the rescue, the questioning, the doubt, the faltering, the battering of the storm results in an act of worship and recognition of who Jesus really is. You are really the son of God, we hear the disciples exclaim. So in short, this is how the story goes. Jesus sees you. Jesus finds you. Jesus says, don't be afraid. I'm here. Jesus will indulge your need for reassurance. You too can walk on water despite the storm if your eyes are on Jesus. The storm will feel overwhelming if your eyes are not on Jesus. 
But Jesus rescues us despite our struggle. Jesus calms the storm. And through the storm, we encounter Jesus, know more deeply who he really is, and worship him. Sometimes we expect to meet Jesus for answers, but that's often not the case. We may end that encounter with more questions than answers, but at the same time, we can end that encounter with a deep certainty of who Jesus is and how he loves us. Jesus is absolute truth where there seems to be no certain truth. He's absolute certainty even when we're surrounded by uncertainty. And this becomes clear as we encounter Jesus through our storm. When the storm rages, when we feel suffocated by hard questions, surrounded by uncertainty, we can find peace and even courage in the surety of who Jesus is and the fact that he's present with us. Now, this doesn't mean that life will always be easy or good. As we've seen, Jesus didn't immediately calm the storm in Matthew 14. But it does mean that we can be sure of encountering Jesus through our storm, that we can be sure of his character and his presence. Even when life seems overwhelming, even when the storm rages inside of us, or outside of us and all around us, we can be confident in the person and character of Jesus. I'm reminded of an excerpt from the famous C.S. Lewis novel, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. And if some of you listen to the Lectio devotional app, you'll have heard this recently. But it's the story of the encounter where some of the children in the C.S. Lewis novel begin to explore this magical land inside the wardrobe. And they're having a conversation with Mr. and Mrs. Beaver about this mysterious King Aslan. And if you've read the whole novel, you know Aslan is kind of representative of Jesus and, and of a savior. And so Lucy, one of the children, asks Mr. Beaver, is he a man? Aslan a man, said Mr. Beaver sternly. Certainly not. I tell you, he's the king of the wood, the son of the great emperor beyond the sea. Don't you know the king of the beasts? Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I, I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. That you will, dearie, and no mistake, says Mrs. Beaver. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or just plain silly. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. An encounter with Jesus is not about getting our questions answered. It's not about figuring it all out. It's about seeing who Jesus is, experiencing his love, his compassion, gaining a deeper understanding of his character. He won't wrap us in cotton wool and promise us no more storms, no more questions, no more doubts, but he'll be present and he'll be good. Only God has all the answers, and I believe that it's only in the fullness of eternity that we will see all of our questions fully answered. 
for now. We meet Jesus in the midst of complexity, surrounded by ambiguity. For now, we meet Jesus sometimes as we drown in uncertainty, but we can be certain of his love, his justice, his goodness, and his promise of restoration. So yes, Jesus is the answer, but it's not quite as straightforward as it once seemed in Sunday school. Jesus is the answer, but we're still allowed to have questions. Jesus is the answer, but the storm rages on. But I have confidence in Jesus, in his presence, in his character, in his love for me and his compassion. Certainty in the midst of uncertainty. A solid rock in constantly shifting sands. Jesus. As the worship band come back up on stage, I want us to take a few minutes just to pray together. And maybe you've listened to, to this this morning and you feel like you're currently drowning in your own storm. You need to see Jesus in the waves. You're looking and you can't find him. I want us to pray together this morning that if that's you, that Jesus would find his way to you and you would see him. I want us to pray for those of us amongst us who are struggling to keep their eyes upon Jesus. As the waves buffet around, as you get bashed from one side and the other. If you're struggling to see Jesus and keep your eyes fixed there, I want us to pray together this morning. And maybe there are people here who are hungry for a reassurance of Jesus' presence and his goodness. And this morning, I want us to pray together that that would be your experience, that no matter the storm, you would feel his presence and his goodness. So maybe we can stand together. If you're a community group leader or a leader in the church, maybe just make yourself available along the front and around the edges. And if you would like to pray into some of these things this morning, just feel free to approach somebody and quietly ask for prayer. We'll take a moment now just to be quiet for a minute or two, process a little, and then I'll pray as I hand over to Chikwaza. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for all of the ways it reveals you to us. Thank you for this story of the disciples' encounter with you, where maybe we find ourselves in this storm, being battered by wave after wave, maybe even storm after storm. And Lord, we thank you that this story shows us that you see us, that you come to us and you find us, that you show yourself to be present with us and to be good. Despite the questions, despite the chaos, despite the uncertainty, we can be sure of your presence and of your love. 
And Lord, this morning we pray for those who feel like they're drowning in the storm. Lord, we pray that you would just make yourself so visible, so real, so present, that they would only be able to see you even as the storm rages on. We pray that you would reveal yourself to each of us who finds ourselves in that storm. And as you reveal yourself to us, as we see you, Lord, help us to keep our eyes fixed on you. When we get distracted by the chaos, when we get consumed by the storm, Lord, we thank you that you rescue us. Teach us to keep our eyes fixed on you. And Lord, for those who just need to know your presence, who just need to feel your close, you close, we just pray that, pray that you would surround them. Wrap your arms around them, rescue them from the waves, from the water, from the storm, and just reveal yourself to them in ways that show your goodness and your love. We pray these things in your name. So nice to see you, so glad you're here Oh, 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 oh We want to know Jesus, we want to grow like him We want to know Jesus, 